Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts to help you build your resilience for a better life, both at home and at work. In fact, we're going to help you get your bounce back. There are lots of different subjects, people and tools and techniques across this series, so please feel free to subscribe. Information can be found at personalresilience.com and you can access other goodies and online courses and coaching as well as today's show notes. In the meantime, please enjoy today's podcast. So today I'm talking with Crystal Go. Now we've been looking forward to talk to Crystal for some time and it's been um, great to eventually have the opportunity to meet up. So Crystal, hi, how are you? Good morning from LA. <laughs> it's good morning from LA and it's a good afternoon from Southampton. <laughs> it's good to uh, it's good to finally make touch, make contact with you. It's great, 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 great. Um, so, Crystal, how would you describe yourself to someone that didn't know you? What would you say about yourself? Um, I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and I uh, went to. I lived in England for about six years, and then I been traveling around the world working and um, meeting interesting people. I'm a Zen practitioner and I'm also a neuroscientist and now I work in the uh, health and technology sector in California. Brilliant. So so tell me about, about your life. How, how did you, where did you start and how did you get to where you are today? Uh, well, okay. Um, I, I would say that I've been actually steeped in religion since I was a young child. Right. So I was born and raised Christian, Protestant, Methodist, but around the age of 15, I started wondering um, whether, whether there were some alternative things I could look for. But at that time, I, I was actually going through a lot of difficulty at home. Um, in my family. So I started meditating when I was 16, right. um, purely out of the need to escape suffering, um, as most teenagers probably face. Yes. And I started practicing yoga so that I could sit longer. And that became a lifelong practice, right. um, much more than just coming out of suffering. And it's been the only sort of been the only consistent thing in my life, I think, throughout so many years. Mm. Um, I practiced. I started practicing meditation in the Hindu tradition, actually, right. and then shortly after that, I explored many different types of practices um, in the Theravadan tradition under Ajahn Chah's teaching, and also the Japanese Soto Zen. And then, for the longest time, I practiced in the Korean Zen tradition. And more recently, I've been practicing with Jack Hornfield, um, studying mindfulness with him, and it's been a great um, honor and also a real great balance to the Zen practice. They're they're very complementary. Right. So for, for for those who have heard the term mentioned a lot, I mean, mindfulness is very popular at the moment. How would you mm -hmm. define mindfulness, and how would you differentiate it from meditation, for example? Right. So mindfulness has its roots in traditional meditation, but actually um, nowadays when we talk about mindfulness, it's really um, the, the operational definition of mindfulness is to be aware of the present moment in a non-judgmental um, way. Yeah. So you're observing yourself in a non-judgmental, but very, very aware and present manner. And they kind of 
work on very core psychological traits in, in, in the human mind and human behavior. For example, attention, uh, emotional regulation, and it also helps your memory. And, you know, there are all these like benefits, but the ultimate uh, direction of mindfulness is really to, uh, to see yourself and, and to see yourself without pushing it away or, or attaching to the things that you, you see. Um, and you just have to try it, really. You have to try it. Because when you do, you start discovering things about yourself that you maybe never saw before. Or you, you start to grow this ability to just be with yourself. A lot of the time, people experience discomfort or negative emotions. And the immediate reaction is to want to push them away. Whether it's grabbing for your phone or, you know, like eating something or going on the computer and just sort of numbing yourself. But mindfulness is, is, is a tool that it, you, it catches you in that moment before you reach for your phone, before you, you know, reach for your, for your food. And you're able to just even have a short moment of, of being there with yourself, with all the feelings, all the emotions, all the sensations, all the thoughts that come, um, which is a completely human experience. And it allows you to, to see yourself and to accept yourself fully as you are. Yeah. And so is this a process that you learn and become more skilled at? Uh, so in other words, for example, like, a, like a, in a gym, would you have a personal trainer? Or is it a, or is it a process you learn through self-examination and self-practice? Um, I would say that, you know, a lot of people explore it through different... They, they, they gain access to this practice in many different ways. And at some point, it's worthwhile to really learn it the proper way, to, to learn the correct tools. Not because, um, you know, you have to have some great teacher, but because when you learn the correct method to practice mindfulness, it is so effective. Right. And, and, of course, it's never just a straight line up a hill. Life is full of up and downs. But it gives you um, a tool to face anything. There was a really nice... A metaphor that that a teacher once talked about it's like you're walking into the shore and you know at first these big waves they crash you down but the more you do this the waves still come but maybe you don't get knocked down as easily or you get up faster yeah so that's the heart of resilience really isn't it so you're so yeah. you so you see a connection between mindfulness meditation and resilience Oh, absolutely. So I'm a survivor of child abuse. And I would say that, you know, Zen practice has been really good for uh, keeping concentration and being very focused and being like learning to be aware. But mindfulness adds this element of just being able to hold all of it and just being able to be with it. And that's really difficult. You know, whether you're facing um, challenges in your career, at home, relationships, anything, like any small or big challenges that we face in life, which is inevitable, mm. um, it, it helps you to feel like, oh, it's okay, you know? It's, it's bad, and it sucks, and it feels bad, but um, I can be with this, and I'm not going to die. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> 
So, so, so that I, I mean, I've read so many um, treaties and articles about the benefits of mindfulness. It's, it seems as if the the argument for it is one, but the issue is ha- actually how to do it and how to access it. Do you have, for example, a, a resource you could recommend for someone who's really interested in exploring the whole concept? Yes, of course. So I write for uh, mindful.org as an applied neuroscientist, and I talk about. Yeah, my articles are more about like the science behind the neuroscience behind mindfulness. But if you go to mindful.org, um, they have a getting started page. And, you know, the Internet has a lot of resources for these kind of things, whether it's simple breathing exercises, being aware of your of your breath um, and also body scans. So, you know, we talked about this earlier being uh, aware of the sensations in your body, that's a very big factor um, of how we experience emotions as well. And I think sometimes people are not as connected to their physical sensations, to their bodies, and doing simple body scans or even going for a walking meditation. Yeah. Walking meditation is, um, you know, you're, you're not on your phone, <laughs> yeah. you're walking and you're paying attention to um, the contact when your feet touch the ground and also being in your body, being in your breath. And it can be five minutes, ten minutes. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. One, one moment of, of real dedication and clarity is better than, you know, ten hours of messing around and not being really dedicated. Mm. Is it, I remember, I think it's is it Eckhart Tolle who wrote the book Being in the Now. That's a similar sort of idea, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Ram Das wrote "Be Here Now." Right. I think Eckhart Tolle wrote "The Power of Something." I don't remember. Something like that. Yes. But between us, we'll cobble together half a dozen (laughs) titles that don't exist. (laughs) Our next seventeen books could come from this uh, little brainstorming (laughs) session. (laughs) Well, that's brilliant. So mindfulness. So mindful.org is a good place to um, to have a look at that. So that's very good. So you've talked about having um, mindfulness as as a sort of. a method or a tool that's a, that's been with you all through your life, and you've you know resorted to using that over a frequent basis, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you also mentioned yoga, and a lot of people talk to us about yoga, and um, mm-hmm. I think we've had a couple of speakers talking about yoga. Do you do you still practice that as well, or has mindfulness overtaken that? Yeah, it's been no, it's not different at all. It's been fourteen years since I started, and it's only growing and growing and I still have so much to learn it's because yoga is like a mirror it you know every time you're on the mat if you're really focused and you're really there it shows you the state of your mind whether it's busy whether it's you know calm whether it's thinking about something when your body is in one position Um, maybe sometimes emotions occur when you're in different postures and also, yoga is not so much about the, the physical achievement of it. You know, asana is one of um, the eight limbs of yoga. Uh, the word yoga comes from um, the Patanjali Sutra, which talks about um, the union. Yeah. So having no separation. Right. And I think inter- when you look at it from a mindfulness perspective, no separation of... Um, you know, your sensations or your thoughts or like, you know, the good and the bad and the happy and the sad. 
And all of that is, is the human experience. There's, there's no separation. And we can't just pick and choose, oh, we just want to be healthy and happy and, and successful. I don't want any of the bad things. That's human nature, but yeah. that's not reality. So when you were chatting uh, at the beginning, we were talk talking about your sort of um, life journey, you talked a lot about the idea of starting with this, with the sort of religious element to it. And then you, I don't know whether you said this or maybe you implied it or I just invented it, but then you, it sounded as if you moved away from the religious idea of um, meditation and moved towards the idea of mindfulness. Is, is that yeah. what you're saying? So, so how did your life progress from that point when you, when you, you sort of, I think you, you got to about, um, you were sort of late teens, weren't you? Yeah. Um, well, the thing I love about mindfulness is that it's it's secular. It's not rooted in right. uh, organized religion. Anyone who's been involved in organized religion will know that it has its beautiful side and it has its really you know difficult side. And yeah. uh, even running a company, um, you know, when you're dealing with uh, human relationships, that's in itself like you experience that and religion is no no different from that i think there's the human side of it and there's the there's the spiritual side of it yeah <clears throat> so i i veered away from christianity only because um not because i didn't appreciate the teachings of of love mm. and kindness mm. um but you know maybe i just have a little bit more like exploratory um, character. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. And it's really interesting because the the whole practice of it. It's interesting that you call it a secular practice because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are sometimes concerned about starting something like um, a concept like mindfulness because it, there seems to be an overtone that's that can be too spiritual or you know implied re religion or something because of the sort of association with mysticism and buddhism and such like sure but actually it's interesting well, you to hear it's really, you that's really it's funny because we go to work from monday to friday and we take sunday off and yeah. that's from religion but nobody questions that yeah. <laughs> you know that's from that's from the church that's from resting on the seventh day um and we we live our our work schedules life schedules according to a religious framework that somebody else gave us yeah. the way i see meditation is you brush your teeth every day Right. Or when you soil your hands, you wash them before you shake them. When you serve someone food on a plate, you wash your plate before you serve food. And there is no reason why we shouldn't be taking care of our minds because our minds are so powerful. Yeah. It affects our thoughts. It affects our actions and our words. And, and sometimes we underestimate the power of, of ourselves, of our actions, our speech, and our, and our you know, words and thoughts. So how much time do you spend in that meditative state? For example, a day. Do you have like a regular routine? How, how, what does that look like? So in a more, like every day, I recommend every day um, to do some short practice, whether it's five minutes, whether it's half an hour. Some people like to be really hardcore about it, 10, 10, um, 10 hours. Wow. <laughs> um, That's the but, day. you know, look... It's, it's more of a, it's like brushing your teeth, right? Yeah. Some people can brush your teeth for, for 15 minutes because they're, you know, very into brushing their teeth. Yeah. Um, the point is to make an effort to, to do it, to be aware of why you're doing it. Yeah. You can do it in the morning, at night, if you're a night person. You know, my boss does it um, in the afternoon. Yeah. 
yeah. while I'm playing like playing games on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's okay if you don't do it every day. Um, I'm I'm a very strange example. I've done extremely long retreats before, where we're meditating eight hours a day, and we do it for for thir- for ninety days nonstop. And I've done that three times. So that's a lot of meditation, a lot of deep, deep, deep um, meditative experiences. But what actually that has taught me, it's not about sitting so much sitting on the cushion and going deep into a meditative state. Mm. That's helpful to give you a taste of what that very pure feeling is. But it's more about your everyday action, moment to moment. So when you're sitting, when you're talking to a friend, when you're eating, when you're on the toilet, when you're showering, where is your mind? What are you doing in that moment? Are you showering? Are you talking to your friend? Or are you thinking about something else? Are you, how present are you? Right. Yes, I'm just thinking about what you're saying there. That's, that, that's, that's a very practical way of thinking about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because I think in, in modern life, we're extremely distracted about yeah. the many calls on our time and also by the yeah. sort of choices we make to be bothered about certain things. Yeah. Um, and, and it is interesting, isn't it, how much you notice when someone is present? Sure. I mean, now, you know, we have these things in California of digital detox and, you know, when teenagers have to go to um, <clears throat> a retreat and they now make a ritual out of handing in their digital devices and it's like, they have to give up a part of their anatomy because it's so part of them. Um, it's incredible to see how how our lives have changed with digital devices. And I mean, it's not a bad thing. I think it's important just to, to be aware and to titrate um, according to how much you need to use it, how conscientious you are to the people around you. Mm. It's interesting because chatting earlier, we were talking about the fact you had a doctorate from uh, neuroscience and in neuroscience from UCL. Do, yes. do, do you do you see any um, do you see any negative mental issues coming from the the new digital world? Um, I was talking to someone this morning who was who was re- an older person who was regretting the fact that her grandchildren don't go out and play. Because mm. because they're playing virtual football on a on a device instead of going out and playing real real football in the street, do you do you think there's a do you think there's a sort of there'll be a mental price to pay in the future, or will it just be part of our part of our development? That's a very difficult question to answer because <laughs> you know I use digital devices yeah. every day all the time. Um, I would say that attention span and mental energy is definitely something that that fluctuates according to how much I use to I know that I'm much happier when I don't have my devices and I'm out in nature right that's for sure 100% right. when you when you're when you go out into nature breathe oxygen and you know our, our visual system is actually calibrated evolutionarily mm. speaking to love green to love like we get very energized and calm when we see green and we, when we see the, um, you know, when we see natural scenes. Yes. So being completely sucked into a screen, yes. just you know, not speaking as a scientist, just speaking as a human being, yeah. I, I don't, I think we all know. I think we all know. <laughs> but it is interesting when you meet people and um, 
for example, if you're buying a house or something, they'll all talk about wanting a view. And, the, and, and you know, people like to look at the sea, don't they? And they, you know, people, people, people like to be in nature, even if they don't admit oh, yeah. it themselves, don't they? they? I think that's why some people have dogs, so they can walk them around in the, in, in the outsides. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of interesting. So there's a budding um, scientific movement called eco-psychology. And actually in the 70s, these were the sort of hippie crusty people who were like, oh, you know, let's join hands and hug the trees and blah, blah, blah. But they've come back um, with a renewed manifesto realizing that they need to speak the language of modern people. They need to tell people um, what it is scientifically that, that nature really does for us, why we need it. And it motivates people to help conserve nature as well, to love nature and to foster a relationship with nature um, I think a lot of the times people need to, you know, we talked about this as well. We, we, we need to engage people and show them mm. how to practically utilize what we have, whether it's mindfulness or nature. These are free. These are free tools. And yeah. these are things that, that are given to us as gifts, as human beings. Um, it's just that maybe we forgot how to access them and, and why they're good for us. Yeah, that's interesting. Sorry, you've got me thinking again. So the trouble is when you're thinking on a podcast as the host, it means that you stop answering questions. Um, that's okay. So, so you also talked about the fact that you'd worked as a, a consultant and that you work for non-profits, but also that you yeah. joined an organisation now that's uh, looking at sort of mental health issues around um, in China and such like. So do you want to yeah. you want to talk a little bit about that and how that works? Sure. So China has a population of about uh, 200 million people who need access to mental health, and they are not equipped with the best practices that we enjoy in the West, whether it's, you know, high quality cognitive behavioral therapy or neuro ones like MBSR, mindfulness based stress reduction, or even anything to do with mindfulness. Um, and there's just is a lack of uh, trained professionals to help these people. And also there's a huge stigma around mental health issues. Yeah. So people are shy to even go to, um, you know, to seek professional help. And maybe they go and seek professional help and they don't really get much reward or, you know, they're prescribed with some medicine and it's not taken seriously. Um, so there's a serious problem in China when it comes to mental health. And the society is changing so fast um, the economy is growing really, really fast, and people are trying to cope with that, social changes, infrastructural changes. Um, so what we're trying to do um, as, as um, a company, so we're actually two branches. Mm -hmm. the, the branch that trains professionals in China, we're called California Institute of Health. Right. And we're based in California, and what we do is we import the best practices of mental health solutions to into China. Right. So we train people to teach mindfulness. We train people in mindfulness practice, in mindfulness-based stress reduction, and we also engage the mental health profession, professional circle yeah, in China. Yeah. And so right now we're the leading sort of cross-border, you know, mindfulness practice um, training institute for that. There's also um, the digital solutions branch. Right. So we're called Cognitive Leap. <clears throat> Cognitive Leap. Yeah. And what we do is 
we develop and also license digital solutions for brain health. And you can imagine, um, you know, there's like a core population of people who need this, for example, mild cognitive impairment, early Alzheimer's, people with ADHD, you know, like severe depression, anxiety. Yeah. And these are all people who are diagnosed, clinically recognized, and there are clinical tools to help these people. And then you can imagine outside this core circle, there's a bigger ring of people who are not quite clinically there, yes. but they suffer from symptoms yes. and they're on a spectrum. And I think these are people who really, really need help as well. <laughs> and, yeah. and there isn't anything that's actively engaging them at the moment. Mm -hmm. So technologically wise, te uh, in terms of technology, we are almost there. We are there. The, the cost is dropping and um, there are much more solutions that have been translated from academic labs into commercial use. Yeah. And then um, in terms of engagement, I think that's where we need to start working. So bringing these solutions to the people and saying, hey, you don't have to go to a therapist, you don't have to go to a psychiatrist. Like there are many other ways that you can assess where you are um, find out what kind of help you need and get that help. Wow. That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty bold claim really, isn't it? Um, I think it's not possible to, to create social movement and big social change if we don't make, um, claims like that. It's a vision and we have to be very aligned in order to, to make big shifts like that. I and it. I believe that it's possible because who doesn't want to climb out of suffering? Exactly. I think that's I think that's uh, really inspiring, actually. So, um, and you, talk, you also talked about earlier the sort of conscious business circle. Can you can you talk a bit more about that right. as well? Right. So, um, in America, there is a growing movement of <clears throat> of mind where mindfulness and ancient wisdom converges with technology and. Um, innovation and business. So the you know the classic conference uh, Wisdom 2.0 started by Zorin, and it start it was started in San Francisco, where tech entrepreneurs and business people like Bill Ford um, would gather with the great meditation teachers and um, wisdom teachers, and then everything in between, like influencers, thought leaders, people from the media. <clears throat> and at first it, it kind of came together just as a, like, hey, let's meet and let's, you know, these groups of people have never really been in the same space before. Let's see what happens when we throw them together. And what happened was they found out actually everybody wants to look for the same thing. Like they want to be more effective. They want to be more productive, but they also want to be more happy. Yeah. And they want to find peace ultimately in, in their life. Yeah. Um, now that has sort of been become a little bit more specialized. So you get things like Mindful Leadership Summit, which is a specialized convening and gathering of leaders, business leaders, right. talking about how we can bring conscious and compassionate um, practices in business, which, you know, if we talked about this 20 years before, like compassion in business, that's crazy how. Um, now we're starting to talk about that. What is it 
mean to be a compassionate leader, but also still be effective? Yeah. How do we make a win-win-win situation for, for you know, um, our business and for the leaders and for the employees? Um, so what we are doing is, um, actually, so our company uh, started by venture capitalists, capitalists we're very experienced in U.S. and China cross-border investments. Mm -hmm. So what we are trying to do is to influence the business influencers in China yeah. to also embrace this kind of modern leadership that is not just about the margin, not just about the bottom line, but also think about your product, think about your supply chain, think about um, how we treat people. You know, this is a huge problem in China. I'm sure that people understand that, that where, where business is sometimes not, you know, not the most ethical. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just limited to China, though. I mean, it's, uh, sure. I mean, there are examples all over the world. I mean, US and UK businesses and other parts of the world that, that this idea of compassion and leadership, it's, it's 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 sort of common sense, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But trouble is, people don't really know how to do it because we're often yeah. in a culture, for example, driven by short returns and a stock yeah. market that doesn't really want to hear that sort of language being used. Yeah. So, I just wonder, so what's, what's I wonder very how... interesting in China is mm. that you have this generation of business people, whether they're from family business and they're like, you know, the second, third, fourth generation, or uh, entrepreneurs who are, you know, first generation, <clears throat> my generation, or maybe older, and they've had experience in China, and they've also been educated um, abroad, or they've had experience doing business abroad, and now they're back in China, and they're, they know what's up. They've seen how other people are doing things and they want to bring it back to China. But it's so young and it's really budding. So, you know, you have like the few few examples that are very famous, like Jack Ma. Um, but what we're trying to do is really give them a platform and build a community so that people in China, whether they're groundbreakers, um, whether they're very young entrepreneurs, innovators, or they are already successful business people. They can come together and, and say, hey, we're not alone. It's not strange that we want to do this, this kind of thing in China. Mm -hmm. um, building that connectivity, that, that sense of community is really important to, to start the momentum for such a movement. Yeah. And I think it's possible because, because consciousness the collective consciousness in china is starting to change it's just it's just very hard to do it when there is a status quo and you feel alone mm. so we want to we want to give people an opportunity and a voice uh, it's um, it's a staggering vision because that's that is pretty that's pretty special really isn't it when you think about it wow um, so, wow, well, Crystal, I, I, I could talk with you all day, um, <laughs> as, as we've already been chatting quite a long time before we started this podcast, and uh, yeah. I'm conscious of the time rolling by. Um, if people want to get a hold of you and talk to you or connect with you, maybe talk a bit more about the Conscious Business Circle, what, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Sure, you can email me, um, crystal at cognitiveleap, cognitiveleap, 
www.ucl.com. Um, you can also reach me through my UCL email. So I'm on the UCL webpage um, under the Institute of Cognitive Science, and um, I'm under the Applied Neuroscience Lab. So there are many ways you can reach me. Also, you can reach me through um, mindful.org. I yes. think you can reach my author page through there. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about anything with people, really. Um, if you're interested in mental health practices and mental health technology, or also digital solutions to brain health, um, if you're interested in you know, discussing <clears throat> USA-China relationships in this space, um, I'm very happy to talk about it. Or if you want to Talk about yoga, Zen, meditation, mindfulness. Yeah. You're there. Wow, Crystal. Yeah, I'm you. there. I like I like I like meeting all sorts of people yeah. and, and chatting. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be doing that soon. <laughs> I promise okay. you. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Thank you so much for reaching out. I mean, this is I was I've been really looking forward to this because, you know, resilience is something that's so uh, close to my heart. Yes. Um you know, I sometimes embody it, sometimes I'm completely not embodying it. <laughs> yes. But I know that, um, I just wanted to add one more thing, actually. When I was in England, I came across, I was very young at that time, um, and I came across this group called Women for Women. Uh-huh. And what they do is they help women who are victims of uh, war around the world to rebuild their lives. And it was a real turning point when I learned about women from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where they are victims of severe sexual violence um, from civil war because of mining there. And and I watched this woman talk about her experience where she, terrible atrocities happened to her, where she was you know, like sexually, violently abused and her family was killed and her house was burned down and her village was demolished and she had nothing, nothing left. But she lived to tell the story in completely in tears, but she lived to tell the story from a position where this is what happened to me and I survived and, and, and I'm going to try and rebuild my life now. And that completely hit me because, you know, we're so laden with first world problems. And I'm looking at this woman thinking, wow, it's completely humbling. Yes. Um, And after that, you know, last year I watched Eve Ensler. She put on a performance in the body of the world. And it had a similar, you know, connection to the women in Congo um, and how she survived cancer. And these these two things, like, you know, as a woman, I, I feel... So inspired yes. by by this. And the thing, and the thing for me about resilience is that you, it's 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 such a, it's a learnable set of strategies, tools, skills, mm. and it gives people choice and the ability to yeah. to fight back if they want to. And a yeah. bit like you were saying earlier, you've sometimes got to shout about how useful this toolkit is because you don't have to. You don't have to give in. You don't have to give up. You can you can move forward. You don't have to. Yeah. It's not about forgetting. And often people talk sure. about resilience as you know, letting the slings, swings, and arrows bounce off you. And it's not about that. It's about learning to deal mm-hmm. with life and and move yep. forward. And and I'm really interested. I'm really and I so much want to talk more about this mindfulness thing with you later on because um, sure because because I do think that's such a practical way of just beginning yeah. that process of of using your mind and your body to 
to re, to renew really and regenerate. Mm -hmm. It's the case. And it's never too late. It's never too late to to start this journey, and no yeah. one can take it away from you. Yeah. And and um, j just one last comment here, because um, I know we're saying goodbye five seconds ago. Now we're chatting again. <laughs> but we did we did we did touch on earlier um, this sort of conversation about introception. Yes, we um, did. And and actually, people who are sensitive, as opposed yeah. and almost at the other end of the um, people who are resilient. It's almost seeing mm -hmm. seeing those people in a bell curve with interceptors at one end and resilient at the other, and it's not that at all, isn't it? Because sensitive no. people can be resilient, and exactly. uh, and that's important, isn't it? So it's important to know mm -hmm. that if you're sensitive, it doesn't mean that that's the end. It's about learning to yeah. to manage and to cope and learning the skills. No, and tools. sensitivity is branded as as something that is negative in exactly. our society for some reason, yeah. but. Sensitive people are completely sensitive to other people as well, which means they are extremely empathetic. They understand how other people are feeling, yeah. and they're able to show compassion and love in a, in a level that you know people maybe are, are less sensitive are not capable of. Yeah. And I think that it's possible to be resilient and sensitive at the same time. Yeah, like sure. strength is not hard. I think people who are strong, who have survived, they know that true strength can be very 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 soft yes yes it's like this idea that confidence is not showmanship confidence is that it's, it's your inner sense your authenticity exactly. and integrity isn't it and people mistake yeah. the terms don't they and they misapply the terms and, sure. and sometimes as we become a little more aware of these terms we can then open sort of unpack the toolkits that go with them yeah it takes great strength to to embody great love yeah it does, and well, okay. I think that I think that is a brilliant way to to finish. If that's okay with you, <laughs> because sure, I, no it's problem. it's always it's always been the thing that every podcast, every podcast guest has always got a, a very interesting quote, and that's such a brilliant one for us to to, to pause on mm -hmm. today. Crystal, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for um, thank you so much for for joining us, and I really value everything. I mean, you've given us really interesting things to think about and talk about in um, both here and in other places. So I thank sure. you so much, and we'll definitely be reaching out to you again and to talk about some of the other things as well that you've discussed here as well. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you so much. Speak to you very soon. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found some value. Um, there are lots of other podcasts in this series, lots of different speakers, tools and techniques and subjects. So please subscribe and see what else might be helpful for you. Um, it would be smashing if you could pop across to iTunes and drop us a review. As I said earlier, we've got tons of information on our sites, lots of free goodies, eBooks, webinars and such like. Uh, as well as some uh, online courses and specific coaching, sometimes from some of the speakers you've heard on these podcasts. So I hope to uh, have your company again on the next edition of Resilience Unraveled. Bye now.